running has just been something I don't know if I was exposed to strange chemicals or radiation as a child or anything like that, but it's always come fairly natural. I have an uncle who I found out actually when I first started running seriously uh, or kind of went into my second running life in graduate school. They're just like, oh, yeah, you know that Uncle Doak was the city record holder in the two and four hundred. I'm like, no, I did not know that. He never talked about it. So I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this doesn't come from nowhere. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to solpre.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. That's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has her master's in clinical psychology. She spent a decade as a counselor and sports psychology consultant. She's a runner, so at home with me, we're gonna have a lot of good running conversation, I'm sure. Uh, she's a registered mentor for the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, which means she can train people entering the field and do some other things, which I'm sure I've forgotten she's gonna tell me about. She also recently has been added to the registered list of providers for Team USA. Um, which is really cool. Uh, as she said before we got going, uh, overnight success in a decade, one of those things. Uh, welcome to the show, Adrian Longelier. Thanks, Jesse. I'm happy to be here. And wow, you made me sound a whole lot cooler than I actually am. So <laughs> no pressure, no pressure at all. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, no pressure. I, and as we talked about, I knew I was going to stumble over your last name. And I just took me a second, my brain caught back up. Um, so I hope Everybody I did that does. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's one of those things where, and I don't, if people, long-time listeners are like, this guy really needs to like get hooked on phonics or something. Um, <laughs> but, but I tried my best because I even know I've got four letters in my last name and sometimes people mess it up and I'm just like, all right, like, you know, it, it, different people, I, I think if you know you've got a difficult last name, you probably live with it and kind of make peace with it. But I still still oh, you have to try to you know do justice for you. Appreciate that, Jesse. Appreciate that. So before we got going, we didn't get too deep into this, um, but I have to ask because I I'd asked you, uh, you know, did you run collegiately? And you said no, I did not. And I went, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> because I really thought you had. And you know, you were telling me that you kind of had a non-traditional. I'll call it a career path since running is like a avocation, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's my other job that I do that I either don't get paid or I just make enough to take my friends out to dinner every once in a while. So, but it's still something I spend quite a bit of my time doing. Right, right. So can, can you tell me about how that has like progressed over time? Because you did run in high school, but then didn't end up doing the collegiate thing, even though it, it sounds like you had the option. And then now you are, you know, getting ready for, you know, marathon here mm -hmm. very shortly. Um, mm -hmm. So clearly still doing it. So, so walk me through what, what happened. 
Oh man. Okay. So, um, running has just been something, I don't know if I was exposed to strange chemicals or radiation as a child or anything like that, but it's always come fairly natural. I have an uncle who I found out actually when I first started running seriously, uh, or kind of went into my second running life in graduate school, they're just like, oh yeah, you know that Uncle Doak was the city record holder in the two and 400. I'm like, no, I did not know that. He never talked about it. So I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe this doesn't come from nowhere. That's cool. Thanks, Uncle Doak. Appreciate the gift. Um, but uh, anyhow, so in other podcasts, and people ask me about, tell me about your first run. And this is just textbook, Adrian. Like, I think I just came out the box this way to where I, I love to run and I love helping people out. So the family dog got out when I was like five years old and um, five-year-old me took it upon myself to go find him. So I took off on foot without telling anybody. So I'm pretty sure I, I ran a good mile or so. Uh, I did catch the dog. However, my mom was about to file a missing persons report on me and they were about to send a search. So I came back and I was like, why are y'all worried? I'm like, I got the dog. Um, they're just like, Adrian, you can't do that. And of course, in my little child brain that just wasn't computing, but that was my first run. And it, you know, again, it was just something that I naturally did. So I've kind of noticed how like my running path and my career path have kind of mirrored each other. And, uh, you know, I've, because kind of the, the way I am, you know, I'm really interested in kind of the human experience and that's kind of how I express myself is through running. So anyway, you know, I was just, uh, grew up um, in the uh, San Antonio and Austin area. My family kind of bounced around from there. So I played organized sports as much as I can. Ended up sticking more to soccer because hand-eye coordination in me, it just, it just wasn't there. So, um, so junior high came around and I had the op opportunity to go out for track. And so I was like, oh, okay, I can run a mile, no big deal. And ended up, you know, I, I, I still have my district medals from like being a kid in a, in a box in one of my drawers at home. Like they're probably like completely tarnished and you can't tell what they are, but, uh, that's kind of how it started. And I'm just like, oh, I actually really like this. But along with that is just kind of the personality style that I have. And I think this is how I can really understand athletes I work with is I tend to be quite perfectionistic and I would just vibrate with anxiety on the start line. So it went from being really cool and like finishing a race was obviously a rush but the lead up to it was just so uncomfortable and I didn't have the tools to cope with it at the time. So, you know, I had some success, but then uh, I was just like, well, what do I do with it? And each race turned into, well, I have to show people that I am who they think I am and stuff like that. So obviously we had some neuroses to work through as, as, as a youngster, but, uh, I jokingly say that I needed somebody like myself so badly, I just decided to assume that role later in life. So, 
high school rolled around and I decided I didn't want the cross country coach following me around in the hallways, telling me to go out for, go out for cross. So I was just like, oh my God, what if I let him down? Like there was just these, this swirl of basically just negative thoughts, like doubts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now, now I know I'm just like, oh, okay, well, that's just that mind chatter. That's just doubts. And it's normal. It's part of the athlete experience. But neither one of my parents were competitive athletes. Like I don't, don't really come, but other than my uncle, I don't really come from a family of athletes. So I was just kind of making this up and figuring out as I, as I went. So back to the soccer field, I went because I was fast and aggressive and, you know, I had a lot of energy. So spent my time doing that and, uh, you know, had the opportunity to play, uh, like a D2 or a D3 program, but, uh, at the time, finances were an issue, so I just went uh, straight to college and just became, I believe, you know, the college athletes I work with call them NARPs. I was a non-athletic regular person for a little bit, and uh, so yeah, NARP. There we go, guys. Uh, that I I laughed quite a bit the first time I heard that, and I was like, well, that's <laughs> kind of judgmental, but anyway, a little bit. Yeah, so. So I, you know, I, I stayed in shape. I worked as a personal trainer. So I was always adjacent to the sport because I would go run on my own and, you know, junior, senior year, you know, I'm studying, I'm getting my undergraduate in psychology at Texas A&M and uh, people I worked with, they were into like one of my coworkers ran a marathon. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like if, if this girl can do it, maybe I can do it too. I was just like, oh, okay, well, we'll do a half first. And I was like, wait, we got to overcome our phobia of racing first. So um, anyway, I started doing a little bit longer runs, which it was just so Bush League. Like I had a Timex Ironman watch. I'm pretty sure I just bought my shoes from like a big box store or something like that. And I would run basically from one side of town to the other and back. And I'd just time it. And, you know, I'd run, you know, 90 you know 100 minutes or something just to get a long run in and that's not I guess kind of where kind of the base that set me up for my delayed running life kind of started so graduated um I was in I was a first year grad student um was getting my clinical psychology degree and I was already kind of the outlier so I just really leaned into it because I was the sports girl is I wanted to mostly specialize in athletes. You know, I was really interested in kind of that world and crossed over kind of into kinesiology and exercise science. So I, I fully embraced being the weird girl who got up at six to run before class, before practicum and all that kind of stuff. So I had an opportunity to race actually my first week there. Uh, I had a professor. He was, I think, an officer in the local running club. I wanted an A in his class. So he's like, there's a 5K uh, this weekend. You should go. And that's exactly how that guy, his name was Dr. Wilson. That's exactly how he spoke. Very matter of fact, you should come. So I did. Uh, showed up, ended up, uh, you know, first overall female by quite a bit. And I'm just like, oh, that really wasn't so bad. Uh, maybe I can do this again which turned into running a half marathon. And that was kind of one of those experiences where I had no expectations. 
uh, you know, I'm just like, wow, I'm just doing the, this thing. It's, it's big, it's unfamiliar. And I start out as a two loop course. I'm in second place. So I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is all right. So I'm just kind of running along. And then there's a point where I pass the leader. And my initial thought was like, oh my God, what do I do now? Um, <laughs> people like this grew up to be uh, sports psychologist kids. So reach for, the, reach for the stars. Anyway, so I was just like, well, I guess I just run. I like, let's just see if I can, if I can stay ahead of her. So first two races, you know, I ended up winning by a landslide, which mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's one of those things I knew I had inside me, <clears throat> but caught me off guard at the same time. So things escalated pretty quickly after that. And about a year later, I had a coach. Uh, you know, I'm just slicing time off my PRs. So I'm in that patch where I can do no wrong. And that's when I actually, two, a couple of years after that, I signed uh, my first sponsorship contract, which, you know, I was still kind of like a C-level pro, but, you know, I had a stipend and gear and all that kind of stuff from Brooks. So mm -hmm. I basically went from being an ARC, a regular girl, to, you know, a budding elite athlete in about three years time. Mm -hmm. So again, it's that, that whole outlier thing is, uh, so, you know, it, it was, it was a cool experience kind of having the sponsors, but again, it came with, you know, just kind of learning how to do this, learning how to take care of my body and all that kind of stuff, because I was running pretty high volume. My workouts were pretty intense and, uh, you know, how to feed myself, all that kind of stuff. Um, to where, you know, that lasted a couple years, you know, I started getting stress fractures and stuff like that. And then I kind of went back to, okay, it, can I even do this? You know, I went from kind of ex way exceeding the expectations I had for myself to having to like rebuild from the ground up, which was, you know, a challenge and really frustrating but, you know, at the end of the day, I love the sport, you know, I want to be, uh, be involved in it any way I can. So I stuck around and I kind of learned, and this is something that I try to teach my athletes too, is you have to meet yourself where you're at. Because what I found that didn't work when I was trying to come back from an injury is comparing my present self to a version of myself from the past. Like, it's like that, yeah, that was great. but it's, you know, I think that it's all that's going to do is just keep you stuck if you're trying to move backwards. Like that's already happened. We can't, we can't continue to exist and, you know, project ourselves into the past. Like progress happens right now. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the biggest lessons, you know, that I learned. So within the past, you know, I, that was a period that lasted, you know, a good three or four years. I'd make some progress. I'd get hurt again. And you know, have to do all that work on my self-concept that like, look, you know, I'm not fragile. Um, you know, it's because there's just this idea that I, that there's this perception is just like, oh, I just have the injury prone label now. Like I can only do so much. I can only have so much success, which, you know, maybe it was true for a time, but we progress. Like we don't have to stay in the same place that we are currently. So 
fast forward, um, I've been working with a coach, Dave Ames, for the past uh, year or two. So I actually, uh, we started working together during the pandemic. So we had a lot of time to like build up a base mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of really prepare for where we are now. And he's been really good about keeping me in the present. And he was just like, Adrian, you don't have to go, you don't have to go crazy right now. It's like, there's nothing available. We just need to get really strong. So that became the focus from 2020 on. And that's when I was on a run kind of back when things were looking pretty apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started thinking, I was like, man, I actually, which I, I, for a while, I swore off the marathon, love doing the halves and all that kind of stuff. I've had pretty decent success uh, for a girl who works full time and stuff like that. I'm like, I think I can do this. And, you know, I think I can actually still put down a halfway decent performance. So that planted the seed. And then, you know, here, here comes Dave. Two years later, I'm eight days out from my first marathon in 12 years. Convoluted winding path. Uh, <laughs> hopefully some of that made sense. But that's so we started chasing a shih tzu down the streets of San Antonio to being a quote unquote child prodigy, so to speak. Okay, not right. really. Yeah, in uh in junior high to not much to a lot to injured to now. Well, it's always, you know, it's always easier to construct the story looking backwards than looking forwards because we don't know what's going to happen going forwards. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's part of your job, right? Is trying to like mentally construct the story you tell yourself about going forwards. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned about um, that interior label, I'm just injury prone. Mm -hmm. Like I just get injuries. I mean, that's a story you're telling yourself about yeah. both who you've been and who you're going to be, right? Right. And our um, brains are wired for story is we create that. And yes, there's a, there's a hard reality out there that we can't change. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to perception of what we're actually capable of, I think we pull too much sometimes from current circumstances, which those, those circumstances are temporary. I, I think that's always difficult, especially when you're injured, because that's, I mean, the pits, <laughs> Oh, for uh, sure. You know, you're in this dark hole and you're like, you don't feel good and you, you know, things hurt and you're like, will mm -hmm. I ever feel good again? Mm -hmm. You go, you know, those, those negative spot thought, thoughts and you like go down this right. spiral and um, it, it's, it can be difficult to get out of, especially if you don't have anybody to, to bounce ideas off of mm -hmm. a coach or, you know, a mm -hmm. uh, uh, counselor consultant like you because otherwise you're just hearing all the echoes of, of your mind instead of having right. like some kind of outside interjection to kind of throw that wheel off balance a little bit and go right. wait wait a second like let's you know let's try to think about this a little bit more um i, I did want to back up a little bit you you basically mentioned um you know, having the like performance anxiety mm -hmm. when you were younger and then becoming who you needed. I don't know if this is uh, simply a stereotype of me mine. Um, I also, one of my major undergrad majors was psychology. Okay. Um, 
I don't know. So I don't know if it's a stereotype of mine, but it, it feels like many people, uh, at least in the undergrad section, and I don't know if it is continuing on from there, mm-hmm. or the you know, end up specializing in the thing that they feel like they needed when it was you know they were kids or growing up or whatever. Like right. they feel, you know, my, this is conjecture on my part, obviously, but I feel like it's like it's almost a situation of there's such a gap. It, it, it affects you so negatively that like mm-hmm. you're looking for the best outlet to fix it. And the, and the best Avenue you can find is simply to become the solution. Well, and I think like, we're all kind of looking for our best self. And I know that sounds very cliche. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we kind of get on that path of like trying to figure out, okay, with the knowledge and experiences that I have, what can this look like? And, you know, getting to a point to where we overcome these obstacles, I know I can only speak for myself, but I was just like, you know, because of the adversity and because of the things that I've dealt with, I'm very well equipped to be able to hear somebody when they're injured mm-hmm. or uh, if they're struggling with some kind of mental health issue or something like that is it's really it's easier to make that connection it's a whole lot more natural if it's something that you already know you know kind of the same thing like you know people who have gone through acl tears or something like that major surgery a lot of them become physical therapists Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. we're we're all we're all just uh i don't remember who it was but i remember hearing this quote that said don't waste your suffering uh which sounds really intense. I mean, it kind of is, but there's, if we really think about it, I guess it's when it, it kind of falls into that is like, okay, why would we waste our suffering? Let's use it for something good. Mm-hmm. It, I'm trying to remember, gosh, it's been, I try to look up these, I try to anticipate what episodes I might reference and then look them up beforehand. It has been uh, a minute. So it's going to take me a minute to find this guest it was like back in episode season one i think of the podcast uh-huh can i even find it uh i don't know i don't have a camera so i can't help you i know <laughs> i can find i can do it i believe in me yeah dr keith Barr. it's one of my most popular episodes back that was mm-hmm. episode gosh what is that episode 30 going back 100 some episodes here um i just remember talking to him and he said, you know, I think it was him. I talked to a lot of uh, like exercise physiologists. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it wasn't him, then whoever said it, I apologize. <laughs> but he said something about, you know, why do all these people become exercise physiologists? And it's like a lot of them wanted to be professional athletes and just didn't have the physicality to do it. And now they want to know why interesting so talking, you know talking about like not wasting your suffering i mean that's it's a different kind of suffering in that like right. you have an aspiration and you don't achieve well, it's it pivoting is what it is right uh, right being flexible it's like okay I, i'm still interested in this so i'm going to take this passion take this interest and funnel it into a place to where okay i can actually serve and make an impact yeah yeah 
and that's like I'm arguing I'm just like yes we're not broken people we just love this stuff (laughs) something like that you know I, I I think that's I don't know, it's, and I've dealt with that. You know, I, I told you, and, and any listener knows, I, I spent nearly a decade trying to become a, a pro in triathlon. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite make it. Um, so I've gone through that, like, mentality myself of dealing mm-hmm. with the, like, you're not as good as you, you know, the story you told yourself that you yeah. could be or whatever, and, you know, and dealing with that whole situation. And pivoting, I think, is the, I don't, I don't know, maybe not the easiest, but maybe it's the easiest way to cope really is just like taking that energy because you still have like that aspiration doesn't just disappear right. all right, of a right, sudden right. you know right. maybe it's injured but it doesn't just like go away and right. taking that like energy and motivation and then directing it in another path um i don't know uh yeah, i think you know especially in the athletic world is you know it's sports people tend to stay sports people mm-hmm. you know to to a degree and something that a conversation i have quite often in my office is you know let's say somebody doesn't make it to the level they want to make it or mm-hmm. they have to medically retire or you know some really difficult circumstance like that uh is okay what you being an athlete did not make you who you are right. who you are gave you the success in your athletic endeavors so we want to take that and how can we apply it like you know you may not get the same rush as crossing a finish line or something like that but it can still it it can look different but it can still be really rewarding Mm -hmm. and i know you know of course i would have loved to gone fat loved, loved to have gone faster and stuff like that uh i guess still do but uh anyway it's like i'm like I'm going to take what made me, you know, the runner that I am and how can this make me better as a therapist? How can this make me better with the people I'm working with? And, you know, I noticed that, you know, kind of when I talk to peers is just naturally is like, I'm willing to go a little bit farther to help somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, kind of, have developing that patience developing that resilience that you need because you know I hear anything from you know what I have the Olympic trials coming up to you know somebody who's really going through something difficult like a major depressive episode or something along those lines and I have to hold the line for them Mm Your, so I draw back from, you know, the experiences that I've had as a lifelong athlete mm-hmm. and been like, okay, this is a really difficult circumstance right now, but what's one thing I can do that's going to help me, that is going to help this person? What can we do right now that is going to move us even just the slightest bit forward? Yeah, your, your, um, your thought about, you know, being an athlete itself was not who you are, didn't make you who you are. It was who you are made you the athlete you were. Absolutely. Um, that idea makes me think about, and I don't know how many times I've mentioned this conversation um, because sometimes things just stick in my brain this way. Um, t- speaking to Kim Vandenberg, who's a bronze medal swimmer in the Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. um, episode 97, for those that want to listen to 
Kim and State of the End to listen to her play piano, which is on point with the point I'm about to make. That's impressive. She um, she talked about like the swimmers, the you know the young swimmers that she coaches now, and she coaches like I'll say juniors, but like really young athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she I think she told about uh, one particular young girl who you know basically wanted to be like okay, I want to go to the Olympics and do, do all these things. And, you know, Kim mentioned to her, we're, we're counting the story, that, like, you need you need something else besides just swimming. Like, you need other things that you do. Absolutely. And I think that's the beginning of understanding that this one thing is not a defining characteristic of your identity, even though it... it it so easily can be. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we're, we're going this direction. Yeah. And so she uses it as like a, a, almost like a preventive measure. So instead of like, you know, say somebody who only swam or only ran or whatever, right. and now they have to medically retire and there is no possibility of coming right. back. And now they've got to come to you and pick up the pieces. It's like, yeah, they already have some of that in place where it's like, I already do some of these other things and I can direct my focus and energy these mm-hmm. ways as well instead of mm-hmm. hanging my hat only on I am a runner and if I'm not a runner then who am I I don't know how many you know I I, I can't think of all the conversations because I've had so many of them on on this show of that that transition that mm-hmm. we all go through I mean you know Mark Allen we, mm-hmm. you and I were talking about that you listened to the Mark Allen mm-hmm. episode he, we talked a little bit about the transition um and he talks about, you know, how to compete nowadays that, you know, he's, he can't compete with the top guys in Ironman. He's just, he's too, he's too old, but mm-hmm. we all deal with that transition, regardless of whether we're six time Ironman world champion or uh, Joe Blow running at the back of the pack. Like yeah. we all deal with transitions and I, I think practicing them, that mentality from an early age, hopefully is setting up like young athletes for a well it's developing it's developing a human right not just an athlete and you know i think that's one thing that youth sport you know we're starting to see some shifts in that Mm -hmm. and i think i want to see this trend continue because that's where it all starts is is you know i i say i work with humans who just happen to be athletes uh, you know, yeah. same, same thing with these coaches is, okay, this is not the end all be all is this is something you do. You get to do this. Um, and, you know, one, one thing, uh, an analogy I like to think of, uh, people look at me kind of weird when I say it, but I say it anyway, picture kind of your sense of self, like a chair or a table or something like that. You, it, it needs to be stable. You know, if we're, if, if we only have one or two legs, okay, that thing's going to fall, it's going to crash. So we have to have, you know, multiple facets of our identity. Like, you know, for me, yes, I run. Yes, uh, you know, I work in the mental health and sports psych world, but, you know, family is important to me. My relationships are important to me. Um, you know, when I think about, okay, there may be a day I can't do this anymore, or Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I start thinking like, okay, what do I want my life to look like? And I get excited. And it's not that like, oh, I'm done with running, but it's like, okay, 
I can move into these other spaces. And of course, you know, maybe I'll miss, you know, being fast, but there's a whole lot more to me than how quick my legs turn over. Mm -hmm. That definitely doesn't make somebody any better. Right. Well, I think and maybe this is simply just a different way to think about it, but for people that find that thing that they love and for us, maybe that's running. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes because of your, like, because you develop such a deep, deep love for whatever thing it is, you know, mm-hmm. obviously in the context of this podcast, that's often athletics of some sort. Sometimes it, I feel like you get blinded by like, this is the only thing I can ever love. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like a, maybe it's like a high school crush. The first time you fall in love it's like oh, I can, yeah I can I can see that yeah it's, it's like, like that's the only thing I, I can't I can't imagine ever loving anything as much as I love this thing it's like we all know as we get older and experience <laughs> yeah. more things like that's not true yeah and so this is this life has so many possibilities and so many things well, that yeah and there's it, so it many things back. you don't know that you don't know yeah well and it goes back to that yes our emotions we need them our feelings it's kind of part of be. it's part of the human experience. However, they're not very trustworthy most of the time. So you feel like, oh, this is it. This is all, all I have. No, I mean, and once we get past kind of some of the really raw stuff, you start seeing that, okay, maybe I can love other things and that's okay. Yeah. Like we want our identities to be negotiable. Right, right. I also think about, I'm not sure how, this is only like tangentially related. You are talking about earlier um, winning the races and I was thinking about one of my races when I came back. I did a video on this. If you're on the YouTube channel, um, you can look at my July race report um, from the 4th of July run. But there was a, a, a girl that ended up in front of me I think girl, young, early twenties. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as she was like passing me, I was like cheering her on and it, thinking about like the shift of my own mentality towards, I, I'm not like Zen master ego list, but like that direction where it's like, I'm mm-hmm. not as attached to outcome, the outcome. Right. It's just like, how did I do that day? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, um, the girl stuck out to me because there was already several like plenty of guys that had passed me (laughs) um (laughs) but just like you know so i think i think about it because you know there's some of that like kind of toxic culture sometimes with with men where it's like oh you can't let a girl beat you or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. is she better than you right so what like right um, you gotta you gotta appreciate what you're witnessing right you know and like like uh i always joke that I had the privilege to pace uh, Rennie Miranda Carfrey around a lap at Iron 70, Ironman 70.3 Texas mm-hmm. um, because I was basically running with the second place girl and then Rennie was like behind us. We're all running like six minute <laughs> miles. They're like finishing the race. I'm just starting to run. But anyway, my point being like, it, it it's interesting to see how it's like you, you brain shifts over time when you get past those mm-hmm. like emotions of you know that that ego where like oh I, or the story or whatever i have mm-hmm. to be the best or i can't let anybody beat me right and you begin to observe the world from a little bit more detached perspective and right. realize 
how you've kind of been in your own way yeah. especially and you're in that setting case of, goals that are unfortunately quite fragile right right so i know like uh the marathon i'm about to do is i like to do vis simple visual cues like i'll usually write a word on my hand yeah like, okay when i you know happen to check a split what else do i want to see besides my gps right uh, I'm not a huge GPS girl anyway, so it's nice to have the distraction. And I think what the, the, based on the last marathon I did, which I thought it was going to be my most successful one kind of turned, ended up in not disaster. It was, it was, I learned a lot. It felt like a disaster at the time, uh, is anti-fragile. That's kind of going to, going to be the word mm -hmm. is it's just like, yes, I want to do well. But more importantly, I want to be present and have the best experience possible because this is an opportunity. This is not like no matter what happens is, you know, I'm still me. I'm still yeah. goofy Adrian that hopefully people like to be around. Right. And, you know, we're still going to have a good time afterwards. Yeah. Um, Adrian is where getting close on time here uh i have to ask you a question which if you watch the mark allen episode you already know the question unfortunately i always like to spring it on people um but this season's question uh which is perfect for you maybe you can uh -huh. give me in some psychological insight is i want to know how do you celebrate your wins how do i celebrate my wins uh large pizza no i'm just kidding well okay sometimes how do i, I like, celebrate sounds like a genuine answer yeah, I know, but how do I celebrate? Honestly, is, you know, a win isn't necessarily first place anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, okay, did I overcome a rough patch? Uh, did I do something previously that I didn't think I could do before? And uh, actually what I like to do is just kind of sit and reflect on it and just think like, you know what? I did that. And you know, and, and just kind of just kind of sit in that positive emotion because it's like, I'm not always going to have that win. So we do need to kind of be in the moment and appreciate it and kind of have that, have that sense of gratitude. So, you know, I kind of take some time, you know, obviously I'll have the post-race meal or, you know, whatever that is, but I let myself be happy with what I just did. Like I try not to think too far ahead because I know a lot of athletes are guilty of that, but it's just, just stay present and be grateful for what you just did. How's that for esoteric? <laughs> we, hey, went from, we went from a large pizza to gratitude. Hey, esoteric's my jam. So that's, that's always perfectly yeah. fine with me. Um, Adrian, where can people find you, get in touch, um, check out what you're up to, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Instagram, I have a website. It's my, my last name. If you have show notes, just look it up in the show notes. It's a mess. Yeah. If you're on YouTube, it's on the screen. If, you, if you're yeah. not, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. It's Langelier SPC. And actually I just, I just rebranded. So it is also peak counseling and sp.com. Uh, my um, Instagram, I'm pretty active there. Uh, my practice is called, uh, peak counseling and sports psychology. So at Peak Texas is my practice. And if you want to follow my personal account, you're just going to see a lot of running and dogs. 
I mean, that's that seems like that's probably. Uh, then again, that's what I think that's I think that's the demographic of everybody listening to this. Come <laughs> to think about it, it right. is. So yeah, so essentially, you know, it's what you see is what you get with my online presence. But I'm trying to spend a little bit more time on the uh, professional Instagram and kind of build that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Adrian, uh, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. This is fun. Thanks for having me.